0: Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of the Cold Shower Podcast. I have two guests with me today, Logan and Delaney. You may recognize Logan from a previous episode in which we talked about discourse and the importance of being able to entertain other ideas and opinions and basically just converse with people that don't necessarily agree with us, um, but give them a chance to share their views and vice versa. Um, And then Delaney is also here. Um, as she's someone that works pretty closely, uh, in the schools with food specifically. And so we're going to get their, um, kind of some information from them on what that looks like, maybe what their personal journeys are like with food. And I think that they're going to be able to educate us, uh, at least like in what it has looked like in their lives. So Logan, we'll just start with you kind of update people, uh, with what's been going on since we last heard from you. And then we'll pop over to Delaney.
1: Yeah. Um, yeah. So the last time we, we talked, we, we spoke quite a bit about the Dinner Debate and Discourse series that had that had just been launched, um, as well as Planted Cuisine and, and, and my work around being a chef here in the, in the area. Dinner Debate and Discourse, just very uh, honestly, we haven't had another one. We don't plan to have another one for a little while. It was something that the community really responded positively to. But like all things, takes a lot of time and energy, uh, volunteer effort uh, specifically because we were trying to make it a donation based event. I had quite a few meetings, and we just I just realized we didn't have the the team and the volunteer um, efforts to pull pull the next one off in the way we want to pull it off. So we're just kind of putting putting that on hold, just due to everything picking up with Plant Cuisine. It's the warmer months are here and. Starting to do a lot more pop up dinners and events, and that really is my primary focus is food. So, uh, Dinner Debate and Discourse is a passion project of of mine. Um, and uh, so I do look forward to when we relaunch that. Uh, but at the moment, it's on that has been tabled, and everything is focused on planted cuisine. Just had a really great pop up dinner at Bregman Brothers Winery. We have another one coming up on June 29th, and um, All the farms are waking up, so reestablishing and really connecting in with all the farmers again, which is great, and really looking forward to just starting to uh, enjoy another Michigan summer and and working with all the farmers again. Yeah,
0: no doubt. Delaney, what's going on with you?
2: Yeah, so um, right now I work at Traverse Bay Area Intermediate School District, which is one of the fun acronyms up here. Um, as a Farm to School AmeriCorps VISTA member. So um, AmeriCorps is a governmental program that kind of pairs people up with um, different organizations working to help alleviate poverty in some way. Um, So my position was paired with the ISD in Traverse City, and they have a school health team, and they do a lot of different work in the schools. But the Farm to School team, brings, um, like fresh fruits and vegetables into the school, teaches a little nutrition ed, does some school garden work and school health work. So I'm currently working there.
0: Nice. Yeah. That's, um, I think deeper than even what I thought it was in terms of what you, maybe are combating or, or, uh, helping advocate for, um, let's jump back to you, Logan. So the last time or since we've had you on, I saw the uh, documentary that you were involved in making heavily involved in making. Um, could you share about that? And then maybe for people who don't know, like um, about planted cuisine, explain how maybe your experience uh,
1: during the making of that film has led you to be the type of chef that you are right now. So called to rescue is a documentary film, uh, feature length documentary film on farm animal sanctuaries. That uh, was a real vision of my mom and, um, and I kind of just came on on for the ride and uh, did a lot of the shooting and, and editing for it. It was a three-year uh, journey, and it's it's really a film that we wanted to create a film that kind of show shared that message of compassion th- through a lens of compassion when looking at uh, farm animals and really kind of quest- calling in the question why you know a, a dog or a cat is treated differently than a cow or a pig. When these animals are very similar um, when you when it comes down to it, and kind of, you know sharing the message of eating more plant-based, but again, through the lens of not graphic footage, not violent footage, not super high on the pedestal preachy um, position. Uh, but instead just really sharing the the stories of these animal folks that are working with these animals. Uh, which is a really compelling story in and of itself, um, and slipping in some some statistics. And so that film was kind of made in this transition of mine from media to being a chef and working in food. Uh, so I I certainly think it was, it was influential in the in the sense that I had committed to being plant-based, vegan uh before we started the film but throughout this film throughout this journey we interacted with so many animals and it's it's kind of really in your face uh, when you're interacting with animals i think a lot of times when i'm interacting in the main I mean, just in life in general talking with other chefs i kind of slip into this mindset of you know well meat's a part of our life it's it a lot of people eat it it you know, it's not that terrible. It's you know, I I I am I am fully understand that enough a decent amount of meat saying always be consumed. But when you're out on a sanctuary, you're listening to these stories, you're interacting with animals who have been really through horrific things. It kind of reinforces your understanding of the situation and wanting to have a deeper commitment around how animals are treated all animals are treated and have a firmer line being held um just working within the food industry and really wanting to see substantial change as opposed to very small minor steps Mm -hmm.
0: yeah it was a incredible film my abby and i both went and saw it and it was just like just to see that the kind of the tactic that you guys employed in the sense that like you said you were avoiding graphic footage um, and sharing real stories about real animals and real people and their interactions um, I think that gives you like a type of staying power in someone's mind over those graphic images like we all know how Like dare turned out and stuff like that, you know to, to avoid uh, or to get kids to not do drugs You don't necessarily show them pictures of like meth heads that doesn't really work and to compare those things is kind of silly but um, yeah. The, the, graphic imagery I think is what most people have gotten used to seeing as like the fight against that industry and to, to have it approached from a different way. was really refreshing. It was cool.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that, that was what, that was what we wanted. And, um, we've heard so far that the, the message and the stories have really stuck with people after they've watched the film and um, yeah, I just, I, I think our, our goal and I think what we have seen is that we just wanted people coming away, asking some slightly different questions or seeing things in a, a little bit different of a way, because when you boil it down and when you look at it, um, just a little bit more in depth, it, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Our, you know, our relationship with certain animals and, and eating habits when it, when it, When you really, when you really look at the the big picture, so Mm -hmm. especially in in the, at the rates that we are and our just kind of love for it. You know, when you, not to go down too far down that rabbit hole, but it's like when you look at Native Americans and indigenous tribes and people, their relationship with animals and what they ate, you know, it it was a a mainstay in the diet, but it was done with reverence and Mm -hmm. deep gratitude and understanding what you're taking away and you know now you know commercials and advertisements it's just you know we just absolutely meat is just this glorified like delicious thing that we don't think twice about Mm -hmm. so even if the film can make somebody think twice about it or even half the time not go for the burger then i think we're at a decent success rate.
0: Yeah. No, I think you guys are well on your way. Um, it was really just a welcomed experience for sure. Um, Delaney, like what is your, um, maybe personal experience, um, in your relationship with food looked like in, in, um, alongside the type of work that you're doing?
2: Yeah. Well, I've had a really long journey trying to figure out (laughs) my relationship with food. Um, but to kind of piggyback off of Logan's statement, I think that is really like my philosophy around like plants and food in general as well, just because I think working with kids, it's like when you get them to make a connection with the natural world and plants that are growing in the garden, the rate that you're going to see them eating them goes up you know, immensely. So to see people connect with animals or plants or Food in general is, a, I think, a necessary thing to get people to just start building relationships with that again. And I think that's like a lot of the backbone of farm to school work and just bringing in gardens, school gardens or, you know, different programs into the school that bring kids closer to their like relationship with food really just starts building that connection again. Because so many of us have lost the connection with food and where it comes from and what it really looks like. And the more kids are involved in that, I see it change all the time. So it's not just adults.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And like school food, when I think back to, like, I really don't know how it is now. Um, But when I was in high school, which was 10 years ago, like, it was very hard to have a connection with what you were eating because nothing was in its natural form, like, you were eating chicken, but it looked nothing like chicken. Um, the hamburgers could bounce like on the floor. Um, the the vegetables were like just in water and then they would like scoop them out and they were just turned to mush and stuff like that. So how are you like combating that? And, and like specifically, like how do you go about that?
2: Part of the cool thing about being up here is the access to all the amazing farms that we have. So there really isn't the, bit, the barrier I've seen in other areas where there's not a lot of agriculture around or being in a city, for example, is a lot more challenging sometimes um, just because like you have to go so far to get fresh produce or, you know, it can be a lot harder to get. Up here we have amazing farmers and amazing community members that support each other and are like excited about getting more food into the school system so that just alone makes it easier to do the work that we're doing but i think for us like what i don't want people to think is that like schools are just doing that you know right without like knowing that it's kind of like so far in the past still and it's operating at a level that's so like far below what it should be operating it's like they understand where Mm. we're at and they don't want it to be like that either and they want to help so for us it's like we try to give schools tools to make changes and help them take small steps i think and one of those ways is by doing like taste tests in the cafeteria. So a lot of different programs up here do it, but bringing like a fresh vegetable into the cafeteria and letting the kids taste it is something really simple and really easy. Um, but exposure is another big thing when it comes to kids, because they say you need to be exposed to something, you know, like 50 times before you try it, which seems like a lot, but when you grow up with a garden or grow up on a farm, you're going to be you know, exposed to that thing by the time you're one years old, probably a lot. Mm-hmm. So it's just, there's a lot of different things that play into it. But I think for us, it's trying to do small things without putting a burden on schools that just make start to make that connection for kids. Mm-hmm. So having gardens and having food available in the cafeteria um, are small things that I think starts those exposures for kids
0: yeah yeah and I think it's like it's almost like a running joke and you have like the Adam Mm -hmm. Sandler lunch lady song Mm -hmm. and all that stuff that like plays into that where it's like oh well these kids they're resilient like we can feed them slop and and they'll be fine but it's at very critical ages where they're consuming that right but like you said I'm glad you said it like it's not necessarily the fault of the schools or the lunch ladies or anything like that they're working with limited like resources and so to provide a support like that is pretty cool
2: It's more like a systems change, you know, like there's a lot of work being done right now, actually, on the policy level of trying to incorporate more local fresh food. Um, And that kind of change is what we really need to make the schools be able to make changes, because with the limited staff and equipment and budget, they have, you know, bringing in local food, as Logan might know, like the fresh, fresher the food, you know the easier it goes bad, the more it takes to prepare, the more equipment you need, the more storage you need, you know, it's just all these things start stacking up. Um, But the kids are eating Mm -hmm. better food and being healthier. And, you know, it goes obviously down the line, but it's kind of like that cultural shift and the policy level is what I think needs to, be the ones kind of, like, instituting the change so that people can say, like, yes, we've been waiting for this for so long and now we can actually do it mm-hmm. kind of thing. Yeah.
0: Logan, what about for you, like, as you see your girlfriend, which I failed to mention, um, <laughs> it, that they are a couple. Um, so, like, what about for you as you're, you know, mostly working with customers that are going to pay? You're probably not getting uh, elementary school kids coming to many of your pop-up dinners, <laughs> but um, is that cool for you to see some of these changes taking place for people at a younger age so that they're like more educated once they get older or what does it mean to you?
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's so much, so much there to just from what Delaney talked about to to comment on and to kind of expand upon. I mean, it's such a, obviously it's a huge thing. It's a huge institution. It's really inspiring to see. I like to say we're, I I might've said on the last one pod, but it's like we're two generations, um, removed from knowing how to cook so yeah we absolutely need to have kids reconnecting with food as, as young of age as possible to start to rekindle that um that love for food and but the school system and i, I just did a a cooking class with um tba isd just recently and I was talking to the woman who ran the the kitchen at this one school we we're at. And she's, I think she's going to be retiring soon. She's been there over 30 years. And, but it's just, it's just like, it's her. And I mean, I don't, you know, probably not very much other help in a big kitchen with a ton of kids, you know, and, and GFS is really the only option for schools right now. Um, and, and they desperately want um, change And, you know, when they do taste tests, it's like the kids are like, can I have a full serving of whatever we just tried as opposed to what's at lunch? And so there's that that, you know, that challenge, too, of like going in there when you can't actually make the full systems change. Um, But part, you know, so part of it obviously is a policy. Well, it really relies on a long uh, policy and having to change the big structure of of nutrition in this in this country. But it's also um, like from a a chef perspective and from a food industry, food service perspective, you know, uh, chefs are have been elevated to celebrity status or like you can reach celebrity status as a chef now, uh, which is a new thing. And so I think most young cooks, most people getting into the food service industry have. I love the Anthony Bourdain uh, photo. <laughs> he's Dana the only Rhett. one hung so far. I, he's yeah. going to have company
0: soon. It, it seems like like I worship him, but uh, <laughs> I do like him a lot.
1: Well, that's fine. I mean, I I have a beautiful photo of Anthony Bourdain. Too, so. <laughs> yeah. um, anyway, so it's like everybody's like, okay, I have Anthony Bourdain in my mind when I'm getting into food service, or like, or just like the idea of like I need to run my own restaurant. Like every every cook think has like the concept in mind probably when they're when they've been in the industry for any certain period of time. And it's really the opposite trend of where we need to go, though, with food in this country. It's like what we actually need to do is be pumping out chefs that want to educate, that want to work in schools and, and work in hospitals and big institutions and feeding the masses. And this is not a concept that I gave a lot of thought to. Like, I, I've always wanted to change the food system. But I never thought of it from that specific chef perspective. Um, and this is where I want to shout out to um Dan Goosty, I believe I'm pronouncing his name correctly. Um, he is the founder of uh, Brigade. Um and his company, he was he he was the head chef at the best restaurant in the world, um Bar None. And where was he, that at? Was that Noma? Yeah, in, yeah. yeah, Copenhagen. He's been on um, a lot
0: of Netflix shows and stuff, I think.
1: No, no, that would be Rene Redzepi who okay. founded Noma. Got it. Um, okay. Yeah. Dan Goosey has been in a few documentaries about mm-hmm. Noma. They're an institution. They're huge. Um, But so he was there and he walked away and he walked away because he realized he wanted to do this, had this vision of like, it, it's time to feed the masses. It's like, it's like one thing. It's nice to like feed 140 people in this fine dining restaurant where they're paying $600 a plate to be there. But that has ap- very little impact in where we actually need to go. And so he started a brigade, which is getting training and getting chefs into schools, um, to work within the constraints, which is a dollar, $25. Once you remove dairy, um, in the school system to actually try to do a little bit locally, more locally sourced, a little bit better, uh, food. Um, and it's a really interesting, um, I believe there's a handful of podcasts out there that feature him. It's really a fascinating, fascinating listen to hear his story and the stories of what he's going through, trying to work into that food system. So, um, yeah, there's there's a lot to do there, and there's and and yeah, I, I would like to see. So, like as you know, as you said, yeah, not school kids can't afford my dinners. Uh, my dinners are priced most people out because of um, the quality of sourcing and the time and energy that goes into them. I'm very aware of that, and I think a lot about. Dan's vision. And I think it's something I, I wrestle with. I mean, I, I do a lot of education and try to balance it out and food system work, but it is something I wrestle with. It's like, why am I not just going to like a hospital or a school and, and, and working that change? So Mm. it's a tough one. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I think it's one of those things like where, I mean, why I appreciate Anthony Bourdain so much is less for his cooking probably than just his ability to like connect different cultures and tell stories and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I think you're right. Like we kind of put these celebrity chefs on a pedestal and we would hope that the bigger stage that they get, the more like positive change they inspire. But I don't, I think what you're saying is that doesn't necessarily happen because they're just focused on other things, the next show or the next whatever.
1: Yeah. I mean, and shout out to Jamie Oliver and there's a handful of other chefs out there that have, um, done work with schools and, and looking at feeding the masses. Um, but yeah, it, again, it's, it's more about like actually inspiring and setting up systems where chefs see the value, cooks, chefs see the value in working in institutions. Um, a lot has to change. I mean, it's not the most pleasant work environment, um, as it stands right now, but, um, yeah, it's, it's just a, it's just something to, to, to think about um, and, and kind of I think there's a little bit of that conversation in this country in general going around just like kind of like this the sexiness of the blue collar job has gone away mm-hmm. um, in the age of technology and social media and you are able to be whoever you want to be um, I know I'm influenced by that you know and seeing what is possible versus just your head down and making your small impact in the community and i think that's an interesting question moving forward because it's just there's a lot of work that needs to be done and people are kind of it's like farmers right um there's been a movement to make farming sexy so we can Mm -hmm. we and 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 that has taken off a little bit because it's a visually beautiful thing um but it's just an interesting it's a it's an uh, there's a lot of industries that have been influenced by people just leaving Mm -hmm. these positions hopefully looking for something better and oftentimes for good reason. I mean food service and yeah. farming are two of the hardest industries to work in and two of the most underpaid.
0: Yeah. Um so Delaney for you like you're you have some similarities to that in the sense that you're like working in a micro environment. So you're working yeah. with like specific schools in a pretty small area mm-hmm. but you're wanting to see like a bigger change take place. Is that frustrating? Is it not going as fast as you'd like? <laughs> Obviously probably not, but um like working in social work that's kind of how you like thrive is that you Mm -hmm. um you look to make a bigger change but the motivation as you get there is to just focus on the little the small victories is that like the same thing yeah
2: for sure i mean i think working with kids is a blast and a half because they have no filter and so instead of working with adults um They're kind of very transparent about what they're feeling about whatever you're doing with them. Um, And that for me is really encouraging just because even if the kids aren't, you know, they're not into whatever we're serving or whatever we're doing, um, just hearing feedback from them and seeing them get excited about certain things or just like try something new is very motivating to be a part of, I think. And I think for kids, it doesn't take a lot to make them happy. (laughs) And I think there's a lot of stigma around kids and kid things. Like something that really bothers me about the food system in our country is that we have kid food. You know, like kids are just separated in all manner of ways from adults. But like we give them separate food because we don't think they like vegetables. And, you know, we have all these just like stigmas around kids. So when you bring in like raw kale and they eat it and they like it and like everybody's like shocked it's just kind of fun so things like that where it just like (coughs) breaks the system breaks stereotypes are like fun parts about my job and encouraging parts even though i know like the greater problem is still there it's still looming um but working with kids like Getting them involved in anything that you're doing is going to make them more excited and willing to try something new. Um, And basically kids are involved in most of the work I'm doing. So they're usually excited and engaged and um, willing to try, you know, things, which is enough to ask Mm -hmm. for for me. Yeah. But I think it is. Yeah, it's definitely challenging because. In a perfect world, I would want things, you know, when we do things at the schools and the results that we get, I would hope that that sparks, you know, change faster than it really does, or that people are so excited about it that they want to make a change right away. But I know it's all connected to a bigger system and it takes time. So that's just part of it. Mm -hmm. But yeah, it's definitely a back and forth.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I wonder how many kids um, try something with you and then maybe go back to their parents and like implore them to go buy these new items. (laughs) And the, and the parents maybe never did. Right. Because I mean, the hope is that they could all afford to go buy that same stuff. And I know that's like a separate issue that maybe we can talk about too, but, um, like, yeah, mom, I do like kale. Why haven't you ever bought that? So then now she buys it. Like, I wonder if it's reverberating in that way.
2: Well, I think, yeah, it's only natural that kids... well modeled after their parents so it's like kind of ingrained in them when they don't even know it that they're like no I won't like this you know a lot of kids say that to us all the time or like no I've had this before and it's just like that encouragement to like try it one more time or try something new or like take that little risk to where they can be like oh actually I do like this so it's getting them to yeah take those chances and then hopefully it will kind of make its way back home in some way um i think we're trying as a program to reach more of like the teachers and the parents with what we're doing as well i think the cooking classes that we did with logan and have done with some other chefs in the area are great ways to involve the parents in what we're doing um And we try to make everything really accessible. So like you were saying, it is challenging um, because certain things cost more than others. Mm -hmm. But we try to eliminate that barrier for people and make it as easy as possible with like recipes or anything we're sending home um, so that it feels attainable and easier to do i think that's also the thing is like when you're a parent you have a million things going on and you find something that works and you find something that your kid likes and you're just happy Mm. about that um and so getting them to make a change when their life is really really busy is is a lot to ask sometimes so
0: Yeah, we all know like that 15-year-old that still only ever eats like (laughs) chicken tenders and mac and cheese. Yeah, And
2: and Logan and I both, like we have stories of our food journey, you know, like it took a lot for us to make a change or we rebelled against a change. You know, everybody goes through their own path to get there. And then I think it's that personal experience that you have where you just decide like, Mm -hmm. yep, that's it. I'm going to change or it makes sense. It's like that click, that mindset set change that makes you do something different but it's different for everybody so
0: right yeah no I think you hit it like personal experience allows people to like think the way that they think or decide like this is how I'm gonna live or this is how I'm gonna do things right and that's really why like there's validity to you know a lot of decisions that people make even if you don't agree with it because Mm -hmm. it's like, no, that person isn't doing that because they just want to upset you. They're doing that because something happened to them. Right. That has led them to that place. Yeah. Yeah. What about for you, Logan, like, uh, the type of, um, dinners that you put on or the events, like how many people do you think are like really educated on the ingredients and stuff that you're using and are like, Oh, this is great. Like I've, wanted to eat this for a while and he used it or how many people are just like, well, that looks cool and it was delicious, but I have no idea what it was.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think that I grew up with um, exposure to so many, like a wide net diversity all over the place in terms of the foods I, especially within fruits and vegetables and herbs and things like that. And so I have to recognize uh, that privilege all the time because it is shocking to me often what people you know don't know some of the things that I just I couldn't imagine not knowing what it is um yeah so I would say it's all the time at dinners with um using ingredients and and or combinations that people don't have any clue about or weren't familiar with and um so you're kind of I'm kind of yeah that's in my face all the time um and it is it is off it's one of those things where it is frustrating um and you want to do something about it and and you know or you, it's or it's just like a very selfish in my opinion uh, frustration where you're like why why don't people know like you mm-hmm. know there's there's no way like if if you have this much dinner or this much money to be at this dinner like how do you how do you not know what this ingredient is Um, and haven't spent some time educating yourself, but it's just, again, understanding that I've had the uh, opportunity to be exposed to all these things that most people haven't. Um, and so it's just really acknowledging, uh, that privilege. And my part of my work is just trying to talk to folks that I know that are aware, um, and imploring them to do something with that knowledge because not many people have that knowledge right now and it's it is really a place of privilege and it's up to the people that have that knowledge to do something about it um i think you know what i always say at the end of any dinner or education cooking class whatever i'm doing is for me it boils down to three things throw everything else out out the window and i know everybody kind of has these gimmicky sayings but so one could argue it's another one of those, but I hope that people see the simplicity in it and just understand it's about sourcing diversity and moderation um but I really think the one of the key ones is diversity. You look at a supermarket, you go on a mile, you're like, "Wow, I have so many choices, but the truth is is there's not that many choices. It's really an illusion through advertising uh. Most of the products on those shelves are still based around a few certain ingredients um, that have been pushed through our food system for a long time through subsidies and other methods. And true diversity um, exists when you're eating whole foods and plants. And whether you're eating meat and you need to be eating all parts of that animal to get the diversity, whether you're in the plant kingdom and needing to eat way more varieties of plants than you currently are, same with fruits. Um, that's really one of the main messages that I try to talk to people about is that we, as a, as a country have really worked toward, to, um, eliminate a lot and just push a few things. And the rest is through additives and, uh, and flavorings and all these other things to, to make up for that. Um, and so when you're looking at our food system, the health of our kids and adults, um, We have to bring diversity back for instance like bitter foods are one of the healthiest things for you nobody eats bitter like kids don't want to eat bitter because they weren't exposed to it um at a young age and um you know fermentation some of these things are starting to make their way back which is great we're starting to see some trends but um yeah so it's it's there's a there's a lot to unpack there uh, but like with doing these cooking classes, just really the diversity thing has always stuck out diversity in what we eat um, is so important. Like you said, it's like, we know so many people who like, I knew a kid growing up who only ate white foods. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, I mean, my little brother doesn't know how to cook at all still. And only eats a few mm-hmm. certain things. And I mean, I think that's the majority of kids these days and, and a growing number of adults. Um, and we really need to go in the opposite direction for optimal health instead of just, you know, school kids getting loaded up on super high amounts of sugar before walking into their first class. I mean, when you look at it, even in minor detail, the, the flaws in our system are pretty evident. And now it's showing up in our health. Yeah, I think, I don't know,
0: just why, Delaney, why I find, like, what you do so fascinating is because you alluded to the fact that there's a bit of discrimination against kids. So, like, maybe we don't give them the choices or we just assume Mm -hmm. and make these decisions for them. But it's like, we're not really giving them, even if we could provide diversity, like, we're not giving them the choices, Like or enabling them to figure out like how to make their own decisions in regards to food and yeah We're pumping them full of stuff that (laughs) makes them feel a specific way, right? And yeah, it's just it's really strange So to be able to like empower them like that is pretty important. I think
2: well, I think too like That's why the power of cooking is so important is I think like a big part of my journey started when I started cooking um Like when I grew up my parents both worked pretty late into the evening and we would just get takeout all the time um, or eat frozen dinners. So like I had no exposure to cooking when I was little. Um, and then that slowly changed, begin to change. Like I was, you know, would watch like food network and I was like, Oh, this is really cool. Like, and kind of glorified it, but was never doing it at home. Um, and then started having issues with just like my, Reactions to food when I was younger um, started kind of in high school and I was like every high schooler super concerned about like what I looked like and what other people thought of me so I kind of was like oh I should work out and I should eat healthier but I didn't really have the education behind it um, which is I think what a lot of people are struggling struggling with you know um, following like diet trends is just challenging and not listening to their body or learning about what food should really feel like when it's good for you. Um, but after having like some weird, not allergic reactions, but just like feeling crappy for a while, I kind of started to think about changing my diet. And then I had kind of a, an experience in college where I did a program in Oregon where I had I kind of lived off the grid a little bit and had to cook, like, all my meals every day. And I was like, shit, I don't know how to do this. Um, But luckily, I was with other people and was in a supportive community and started really digging into the world of cooking. And I think that, like, which is why having cooking classes or exposing people to just, like, making food is really a good way to find out about diversity. I think I, in an ideal world, yes, having a garden or, you know, growing your own food is great, but that's a whole another thing. Um, and so getting people to just connect with food by just preparing it and tasting different flavors and like trying different things is a huge learning journey um, and was a big way for me to like really learn about food and what different things look like because it was funny when Logan was saying that about different things like I totally have that experience like I didn't know what like anything was and I still am learning a lot all the time because this area is so great and there's a lot of amazing food grown up here that I don't even know what it is and it's weird having that experience you know when you learn about something you're like this is a vegetable people eat it like how like what do people do with it you know so it's kind of like that childlike experience again when you start to cook and build your relationship up with food again so i just think it's really important so that would be my like encouragement to people i think which is also like a big thing if you've never done it before but just cooking is definitely the way that i started that relationship again
0: yeah, I think that's really true. And I'm thinking back to my previous job where I was working with uh, homeless youth. So they were like mm-hmm. 18 to 21 years old and none of them had any semblance of knowledge regarding food and, yeah. and stuff like that. And so oftentimes if I was, <laughs> excuse me, if I was having them um, come into an appointment and it was say like two in the afternoon, either because they were homeless, they hadn't eaten yet, or maybe they like had enough to get like a bean burrito or something from Taco Bell or a junior bacon cheeseburger, whatever it was. And it's like, you could just see that manifesting like in their energy levels, low energy levels, their mood, like all these things, it's just affecting everything. And then also hydration was just another huge one. Like that was one of the first things that I tried to really harp on. Like any new clients I got was like, you need to make sure that you're drinking enough water because if you cancel one more appointment because you have a headache, I have to kick you out of the program. When I know that the reason they have a headache is because they haven't drank any water and they had, like, three monsters and a couple Mountain Dews.
1: Yeah.
0: And so it's like just once people have an understanding or a knowledge of even their own body and how it operates, Mm -hmm. their energy, their mood, and sleep is probably going to be a lot better. Have you guys seen, like, all those changes take place in yourselves too?
1: Yeah. 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 Constantly. And it's, I mean, just the headache thing, the, the lack of water... I mean that's an everyday thing for everybody. I mean it's it's not like a you know, I, I've been doing well drinking water for the last year, or so if I take a few <laughs> days off, I'm good. You know, it's every if I don't drink enough water, I whether that's manifesting in a headache or something else that might be more subtle and I might not even pick up on, it's it's like impacting your day to day. Um so the hydration and then yeah, it's it yeah, the food you eat in terms of how it affects your mood and laziness. I mean, again, this is just one of those things where um I you have to really like recognize the the privilege you have if you have that knowledge and getting that message out there if you don't i mean it's you know it's crazy to think about the fact that you know there are fellow americans that don't have access to clean water right now um, and most americans don't have access to nutrition information and and eating and drinking habits that will set you up for success you know it's like one of those those stereotypical uh messaging the messaging you hear is you know it's people that are on welfare are lazy Mm -hmm. you know and it's like well maybe to some degree that that's true but can we look at the root cause of why that might be right you know um it's you know again i felt like somewhat not haven't felt great in the last couple days to some degree but like on a very ma- minor scale as to what I'm sure other people who are really struggling with their body and their health are feeling. And that person could be working two or three jobs and trying to get through the day. So, um, you know, when we look at just the overall health of our country, it's nutrition's food and food is at the very center of it. And I've mm-hmm. been talking about this a lot with people, but it's really interesting as 2020 heats up that you never hear political candidates talking about food and farming yeah so we have a long way to go
0: right yeah it this just occurred to me but it was like um the basic needs so what is it Mm -hmm. food shelter clothing water
2: water Water. Water. yeah Yeah.
0: good um and it's like now i think as a whole if we were just especially in the u.s just to like look at the country as a whole, we would say, Well, we don't have we don't actually have people like starving to death on the levels that's like taking place in Africa. Mm-hmm. So we're good. And if you really think about it, it's just it just means that we're further removed from that as a basic need. And so it's like just taking mm-hmm. a different route in the starving sense that in it's a not different, nutri- yeah different way. Yeah, exactly. Like there's not the nutrition aspect of it, but we're fed. Yeah but not in the way we should be. Yeah. That's strange.
1: Yeah, it's when you start to kind of, again, do that deeper dive into just food and, and you have that baseline understanding of how it impacts everything in your life. And then you look at what most people um, deal with on a day to day basis. And that also kind of makes me question kind of how the conversations about food and healthy eating in this country have been brought about in the sense that they we might have been going at it wrong all the whole time. I don't think that the messaging has been out there enough that like, you know, how you're feeling on a day to day basis, you know, being able to say, yeah, you're not you're you don't have a good mood or you're lazy today is due to poor eating practices and nutrition. And I think if those messages and people were like making the connections in their lives as, and where things are going wrong <clears throat> and they can trace that back they might place a bit higher emphasis on getting some education or, or our leaders or politicians might be forced to do something a little bit more about it. It, You know, unfortunately it's centered around a lot more around, you know, your image um, or, you know, other things and we're bombarded with advertising for really unhealthy foods that are often masked as healthy as well. So um, unfortunately I think it's just the the discussions that we have in this country around food and nutrition are often framed in really poor ways as well. Mm-hmm. I wonder if there's any, like,
0: connection between why people hate Mondays so much and the <laughs> fact that they, like, went off the rails on the weekend. Yeah, You know, like, are you going into Monday fueled right. by, like, beer and junk food? Or are you fueled by, like, the same stuff that maybe you would normally eat during the week? Mm-hmm. I I don't know. Like, do you think that happens with kids? I know Mondays suck, probably for... <laughs> For kids and teachers, I would imagine, like, it's probably very hard to transition into the week. Do you oh, think yeah. there would be any connection to that, or would you not be able to say?
2: Yeah, definitely. I mean, just in general, with habits changing so much on the weekends, you know, the culture that we have is so, like, disciplined during the week, and then kind of, like, free-for-all on the weekends, and I think that plays a huge role into just, like, how people feel in general. Um but I also think, like, having the this, this schedule like it is, it's going to be hard to, like, make that change, you know, just with, like, taking no breaks during the week and then having two days off.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, it kind of, like, you try to cram everything into those two days. So it's not surprising that I think people... Kids especially, like, celebrate the weekend. So, (laughs) I don't know if we're going to see that change right away. But, yeah, definitely has to do with food. And, I mean, it's amazing, like, to see a lot of people talk about food or not talk about food when their kids aren't feeling well, too. You know, I think that's, like, a huge thing. Not just kids, but adults as well. You know, it's, like, a lot of people with the way that our healthcare system is and everything in Western medicine, really it's not even looked at, you know, like doctors don't even get nutrition training. It's just like so separated, like our whole, like, obviously it's, two different things, but they mesh in so many ways. And it's like that holistic mindset of looking at how everything is connected and how, you know, every person is like influenced by all of these things, not just one or two of these things, is really like the view that we need to have on life in general. And everything seems to be compartmentalized, you know, whereas like this is how I'm feeling and like this is what I'm eating and this is like what I'm doing later and none of them can... (laughs) relate so i think when people start to have that mindset of like checking yourself like when you're upset or when you're getting you know like short with people or xyz and thinking about what they've eaten or if they've drank enough water is just like a foreign concept to some people but it really does make all the difference Mm -hmm. and especially with kids you know and we see that too like Something interesting is um, we work with New Campus School, which is uh, the sun is shining. Yeah, right. the sun is right. I need um, to
0: budget for some blinds here in the but, next month. It's going to set in a couple yeah. of hours. You'll be fine.
2: Um, <laughs> what was I saying?
0: Uh, like holistic approach, right? Yeah, so yeah. kids,
2: how kids are feeling... Our program also works with New Campus, which is a behavioral school that's um, in the commons area, and that's like a perfect example of how there's a lot of kids there that have, you know, different issues with different things, they learn in a different pace because of that, um, and the lunch that they're eating is still filled with sugar and additives and all these things, and... You know, it's like every time I see that, I'm like, this can only add on to all the things that they're already experiencing on a daily basis. Um, And so it's like those connections is where you see it most. And when you are going through like a really stressful time or experiencing stress, like you're obviously going to gravitate towards unhealthy things. And that only, you know, increases that stress for you. And so it's like seeing those relationships between food and behavior is really important. And there are a lot of amazing people at that school that are making those connections. And the fact that our program is in that school is really, really amazing because we get to, you know, educate people on that and try to help make those changes for people because I think it's just been done so separately for so long that it's hard to automatically think about it, you know, when you're feeling a certain way or when a kid is having a fit or, you know, are things, things are escalating quickly. It's like food has the power to do a lot of things to your body and your body responds to food in a variety of ways. And so I think that's just something interesting that I get to experience with working in the school system is yeah seeing that and seeing more people understand that is really cool Been cool with the program I'm working in right now. Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah. I think that's a good encouragement for people is like, you put it well, like compartmentalizing your life or your day almost versus like taking it, taking a holistic approach. Cause yeah, if you just compartmentalize everything, then you're never going to see that maybe what you're eating or what you're drinking is affecting Mm -hmm. your performance at work or your mood or how you're treating your kids when they get home. And yeah, that's just really interesting like something that i thought i was aware of but i never thought of it in that sense of like how much am i compartmentalizing things right and i think that's probably due to the fact that people like schedules too yeah so sometimes a schedule can be good because it can actually like keep you organized and save you time at the end of the day but at Mm -hmm. the same time it's like if you're too routine yeah then you get in those little compartments and fail to see the relation between each thing
1: yeah compartmental compartmentalizing is a real issue because it people look at things in isolated incidents as opposed to like a mm-hmm. systems overview and understanding the connections. so it's like if you get a headache you're like you're just thinking in the moment i have a headache well i'm say to take a painkiller for this mm-hmm. uh because i have a headache not be, not from the mindset of i have a headache what has my food or water or exercise intake been today that might have caused that headache Um, So I think, yeah, it's like we go through these, you know, um, and, uh, you know, unfortunately, we we have been trained to do so because we have um, just an over the top um, pharmacy available Mm -hmm. um, where it's just, you know, there is a there's a Band-Aid fix for everything right now. Um, And so it's much easier to do that then then sit down with yourself and have a a real conversation about you know your eating habits or your drinking habits or your exercise habits um and so that's just another one of those conversations that we're slowly starting to have in this country a little bit thankfully with the rise in like lifestyle and preventative medicine um going back to delaney's points about just you know the western medicine and what our doctors are are taught um in in school these days in um, the lack of nutrition information, it is starting to be exposed. And people, you know, when you have some of the higher ranking, I um, believe it was someone from the uh, one of our armed services doctors quite a while ago mentioned that we are in the age of, um, you know, post-antibiotic world. You know, there's just things that we can't treat with antibiotics because we treat so many things with antibiotics we consume so much of them um so we're starting to see some we're starting to see some acknowledgement that you know these human fixes so to speak these tech driven research driven uh fixes aren't the solution long term um and we're starting to kind of i mean it's everybody's fear that is aware of it that you know, there's just going to be some bug or some virus that comes along that we're not going to have a solution for. I mean, that's that's like the real concern in this uh, 21st century rate right, that we're living in, um, just because it's a real possibility at this point. Um, so it's just it's just one of those things just to, to be aware of and understand that so far, even though we have made a lot of incredible vaccinations and things like that, uh, nature we we still aren't outsmarting nature nature's continually outsmart us and um, what we're realizing is that we need to go to nature for a lot of these um, Mm -hmm. solutions to long-term problems or just overall health and well-being so so, yeah yeah this
0: is neat little like trail to be taking because i you say like we can't outsmart nature well we're we're very smart and we've done like a lot of incredible things curing diseases and all this stuff but like we have motives Behind what we do, that nature doesn't have like an agenda. It's just doing what it's supposed to be doing, or what it,
1: you know, right. And well, and what I say too about in terms of like outsmarting nature, it's you know, it again, it's it's not to say you know, yeah, we so again acknowledging that we've come up with incredible mm-hmm. um, things, whether it's within uh, pharmaceuticals or technology or whatever. But again, like you're looking at okay, so within Western medicine, we take. All these drugs and what you know it's like we get a cold and we take certain drugs for it well getting sick is just in some degree it's a natural part of being a human yeah and if you just take drugs to mask that your body isn't actually going through the process that it needs to to get over and and be strong enough as as your human frame to get past like a cold or a flu Um, and so every time you do that and you rely on Western medicine you're actually weakening your body and its immune system so you know, yeah, it's not to say that we haven't cured some things, but because we are for the basic things, the things that our body should be able to handle, we are not allowing it to handle. Mm -hmm. So that long-term effect is that our bodies are more susceptible to more serious things that we might not have a solution for.
0: Right. Yeah. And I, and I wasn't like saying that we could outsmart nature. Just, it seemed like when you mentioned like a cold, it's like, we have these antibiotics that people just guzzle or take down because we can't take two days off of work. Right. So like that's like the ulterior motive that like humans have that nature doesn't have to like prescribe to. It's just, yeah, it's great. It's so ingrained and entangled in itself that we, yeah, it's a, a big macro issue that luckily we have people like you attacking it from the ground level.
2: <laughs> and I think it is about like you said, scheduling, like scheduling, important things that are good for your body (laughs) Mm -hmm. you know which isn't something that is always easy to do with all the other things we have going on but if you have a schedule it's like make time for yourself too because i think that's when you can like catch up and have that more holistic mindset is like if you schedule something in your day whether it's like a walk outside or like physically reminding yourself to have water (laughs) you know it's like whatever it is that you need to do it's just like do it for the sake of yourself
0: yeah for sure was there anything else you guys wanted to like share or or things that you've learned that you think people need to know on this episode Hmm. i just want to make sure i give you guys an opportunity to
1: well i mean this is like a it's three a long, right. three long three, 333 week long conversation for me i <laughs> yeah. i keep talking about this forever um i will just to follow that up i mean y- y- yes the ideal the solution is if you come down with a cold or a flu is to like do like you know eat healthy and and cleanse and move through that illness for like that whatever 2 to 4 day period and just be at home and one of the best things in the world to do is rest but unfortunately again this is like It all comes back to privilege because most Americans, as you alluded to, can't do that. Right. And so we, you know, are are, we are excluding the most vulnerable from the healthiest solutions to their problems. Mm. And that's just, you know, it's just something to be aware of. So I, I say that, you know, I get a cold and I'm you know, I rest up easy for three days as a, you know, a younger white male who doesn't have kids or family or uh and has a flexible job (laughs) so um that that should just be noted i mean it's you know that's that's the unfortunate part and that's why alluding again back to what i was saying earlier is like that's that's why one of my main missions is to really harp on friends of mine and people that i do know that do have the privilege to start instituting these and pushing for changes um because if if we're not, it's it's just not. The, most of the folks in this country, a, a good majority of them, don't have the time or the resources or the ability to do so, and that's just a, that's a reality we're facing.
0: Yeah, they, I mean, they're just scraping by in a lot of right. cases, and so it's like, it's like the the school lunch thing. I mean, mm-hmm. there's times where I mean, we can harp on the low people like me can harp on the low quality of school lunches without failing to realize that maybe there's a lot of times where that's like the only solid meal that that kid is getting and that's like a whole different topic too so i think you're having to navigate that as well
2: yeah i mean there's so many different challenges when it comes to schools and they're facing yeah every student looks different comes from a different home life has different things going on outside of school um and that all makes it unique but i think everybody should in some way support, you know, organizations working with youth um, if they have the ability to just because they are, you know, the next generation. And it's just so important to try to kind of break that cycle. I mean, we talked about a lot of things that have been happening for many, many, many years that there's a reason why it's so hard to change them. And if we can support organizations that are working with youth that are kind of changing that mindset, changing the way of thinking, that's the only way that we're going to be able to change things. So I think just, um, yeah, if you can't personally work with kids or don't like kids, which is fine. (laughs) Not everybody should work with kids. So if you don't like them, it's cool. (laughs) Um, But finding ways to support, you know, organizations that are working with youth, whether that's through just, like, empowerment or physical um, programs or making change in some way in the school system. Just, I think it's really important, and that's a great way to make change.
0: Nice. Yeah, I was going to ask you for a call to action. I didn't even have to. You were were right on cue. I'll
2: I'll,
1: I'll, I'll, um, work off of that call to action, if you don't (laughs) mind. Um, I think we all know, I think, our political landscape these days has uh, really shown us the power of politics. I think a lot of people are disillusioned with uh, politics and the impact that it, you know, or what one person might impact might be on the system. But I, I would hope that the last few years has shown us the impact that it can have, especially locally. Um, so again, as 2020 comes up, being aware of where candidates, not just on the national level, but on the local level, stand with nutrition ed and food and farming, um, or it's just, again, they've been lost in the mix because there are so many other news stories and, and things to talk about out there. Um, but for instance, like 10 cents a meal is a program that, um, was originated in Michigan, um, within the schools that has been really successful. And, you know, it's usually not hundred percent, but it's usually on, uh, party lines, but you can go and check in voting records of our local, Michigan politicians and see, you know, are they supporting healthy um, meals in our schools, which is pretty much something hopefully we can universally get behind and just being aware of those things as we move forward. Um, And and, you know, if you have an opportunity uh, to to talk to a politician um, or somebody running, ask them questions about food and farming, because it's just not talked about um, enough yet in the in the uh, rhetoric that's going around. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you might get a blank look,
0: which would then tell you where they stand. Yeah, Yeah. well,
1: that's what I would suspect is just that, you know, a very generic uh, politician answer of we're going to make the system better because we have to. But that hasn't worked.
0: Right. Yeah. Well, um, this was a very interesting conversation. Thank you guys for stopping by. I guess as I try to wrap this up, although I think they did a great job, um, would just be be aware of what you're putting in your body. Take ownership um, of how your food uh, is making you feel as well as hydration and then also get involved in some of these programs that were mentioned Uh, like logan had said talk to politicians and see because to me i just think that the younger generations people who maybe aren't given the chance to uh, make decisions on their own then we need to at least be providing them information that they can use later in life as well as just higher quality stuff so if that's higher quality food or higher quality services and and everything like that, then please get on board with some of this stuff because they're going to be taking care of us uh, someday. So again, thank you guys so much for stopping by. This was a blast. Thanks. Bye-bye.